0: Scripture reading this morning is a selection from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. This is God's word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Let's pray together again this morning. Heavenly Father, that we can address you as a father and not merely as God or king or teacher, but father and friend is utterly astounding. You've worked wonders to make that possible. And now as we open your word, would you continue to work wonders in our hearts and minds in our eyes that they might align with yours. So help us now, we ask in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, my name is Taylor Reevely, and it's good to be with you together here in Oregon City again this morning. Um, we are really kind of starting our second month now of meeting regularly here, which is exciting. So um, glad, that, glad that you're here, glad to be together. Uh, you'll notice if you look around, there's a lot of kids in the room. And parents, there's a lot of you, too. Uh, that's, those usually go hand in hand. And um, parents, you're under a lot of pressure these days, aren't you? I'm not talking about the keep your kids quiet and under control right now kind of pressure. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the ocean of pressure that is heaped on a parent with the arrival of a child when uh, TikTok is unveiling some new um, philosophy of parenting or some new thing you should try. And you've got a decision to make of just about nearly every moment of every day for your whole life as a parent. And what's going to happen is the decisions you make are going to pit you against other parents with competing philosophies, and guess what will happen? You will fail time after time after time after time. Parenting is basically an exercise in perpetual failure. I have oversold it, I'm sure. You can't live up to the, the cool factor or whatever of the next TikTok uh, trend. You can't live up to the standards of your own parents. And what you remember about their parenting, or or in some cases, your best friend's parents who were way cooler than your parents. You can't probably even live up to the standards for parents in the Bible. So you got a couple options here, really. But at the heart of every one of those little decisions that you're going to make as a parent, really, I think, lies one deep desire, okay? That you would be the perfect parent. That you would be the perfect parent to make all the right decisions for your children, to give them all the opportunity in the whole world, to keep them safe, to keep them healthy, to keep them happy, to see them grow into adults that are respectable, kind, and honest, to see them love Jesus and serve the church. Every parent, regardless of the quality or the outcome, desires this. But if you noticed in that list of these good things, those things you want for your children, the things you want for them, you cannot give them. You want them to be healthy, you cannot keep them healthy. You cannot keep them safe. You cannot give them every opportunity. You cannot keep them happy. You cannot control what kind of adult they become when they grow up. So what do you do? What do you do with that? A couple options. You could quit. That never goes well. Okay? It never goes well for you or the child. But you could try. Okay? Second option is you could try and, and hope against all hope that your kid will turn out in spite of you. The third option is what the parents hear in Matthew 19 do today, you could bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. And as soon as I say that, the particulars of parenting become now universal. All people, everywhere, when faced with the uncertainty of their own imperfection and failings, come to Jesus. Every time you're hoping against all hope that things will turn out, come to Jesus. Every time you recognize your insufficiency, come to Jesus. Why should you come to him? What are you hoping that he will do that you can't do for yourself? Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 19. And these famous verses will portray Jesus, really, as the person we hope he is when we come to him in need. Matthew chapter 19, beginning beginning in verse 13. It says, then children were brought to him, to Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Parents bring their kids to Jesus, who welcomes them, because, in particular, children matter in the kingdom of heaven. They're not lower-class citizens. Kids matter. Do you hear that, kids? Anyone? Raise your hand if you heard. Kids matter in the kingdom of heaven. They're citizens with equal rights, And privileges. Now, why why do I summarize the passage that way? Because at the heart of it, what Jesus is doing is inaugurating the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is coming down, as it were. And the king is here illustrating, making possible a new and better way. And the point is that it does not look like we would expect it to look. The message this morning is some very concrete application for parents, concrete application for kids, but fundamentally all of us, every single one of us, need a reoriented view towards the kingdom of heaven, towards life in the church. And so Jesus is painting that picture for us. And as we walk through the text, that will come into view as we see the role in particular of parents, the role of children, and the role of the church in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so we begin with really this understated role of the parents who bring their children to Jesus. Parents in the kingdom of heaven bring their children to Jesus. You'll notice in verse 13, as we begin here, that it simply says, the children were brought to him. Hardly enough of, hardly enough of a phrase to now launch and preach a sermon from, but the children were brought to him. Now, who is the them? Where are they bringing these kids from? Chapter 19, a few verses earlier, begins with this, uh, by, with setting this scene. It says, Jesus went away from Galilee, entered the region of the Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And since then, he hasn't moved, and it doesn't appear that the crowds have left. So, in this great crowd of people that have just been healed by Jesus are some kids in their midst, and they were brought. Now, I, I assume that there were parents. I assume that there were kids there because they were brought to him. Now, it's interesting. This is a, a passive word. The kids didn't come to Jesus, the kids were brought. Now, left to their own devices, the kids would be in the back, squirreling around, throwing dirt in each other's faces, pulling each other's hair. But here, there is the parents appear to be lifting the kids' eyes to the power that is in their midst. Now, they're not old children. They are young children. They're little. It's the right word. And what this crowd had just experienced as Jesus healed them in their midst was miraculous. And the parents who had perhaps just a moment ago experienced healing themselves now bring their kids to Jesus. And why are they bringing them to Jesus? What are they hoping for? It continues in verse 13, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Some of that's just customary tradition in the day people would bring their children to a rabbi or a teacher to lay their hands on their child and bless them. And we have um, in our home a little bedtime ritual, which tries to kind of model this. And it's very awkward because my girls sleep on a bunk bed. But what I try to do is, and Eden requires the right hand every night, so the right hand goes on her head, and the left hand goes up on Cedar's head like this, and we say this little blessing together found in Numbers 6, Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and give you peace. That's a little bit of what these parents were probably hoping for. But there is, in the Gospel of Mark and Luke, this same story told, without the prayer and without the laying on of hands, but just a touch. And it's not insignificant to consider that nearly every time someone is healed by Jesus, it is with a touch, or when his hand is laid on them. Earlier, Matthew has described uh, another child in need of healing in Matthew chapter 9. uh, This is in verse 18. A ruler came in and knelt before him saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her. And she will live. So very likely, as the crowds experience the healing at the beginning of chapter 19, he touched them. And the parents who have just been touched by Jesus are now bringing their children to that he might lay his hand on them. There was something, something mysterious, something incredible about his touch that transformed lives. As though the very power of God coursed through Jesus' veins. Which it did. His words certainly had power to make people get up, to make people well. But what is it about his touch here that is so significant? The touch of Jesus is an exchange where your problem, your sin, your brokenness is brought onto and absorbed by him, and he is giving you a newness of life. In the Old Testament, there's law after law after law describing these rituals for uncleanliness. And the way it worked, it becomes ceremonially ceremonially unclean is if you were to touch an unclean thing, the contact was an exchange. And the, the toucher would now be unclean. And what's happening as Jesus is touching is he is saying, I'm touching sick people who are unclean, broken people, unclean and Jesus is not becoming unclean himself you see his perfection now is being uh, is giving life and the unclean people are becoming clean by virtue of his touch so there may even be this twofold intention here as the parents are bringing their children to Jesus that he would touch them and heal them and that he would touch them and bless them We, we don't know the nature of the blessing they were hoping for, or the prayer they were hoping for. We don't know the nature of the problem or the condition of the children that are being brought. But the point that is being made is this. Parents have a responsibility to be the active agent in bringing their children to Jesus. What, is this, what does it look like to bring your children to Jesus? It can look probably like a myriad of things but at least two in particular. It certainly looks like teaching your children. Teaching your children who Jesus is, the way of Jesus. In Deuteronomy 6, which Marika read a moment ago, parents are the active agents in teaching their children about God. It's not the school's responsibility or the Sunday school's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. It's the parent's responsibility. And it's more than a responsibility there in Deuteronomy 6. It's a command Teach them. Talk about this. Open your Bible at home. Pause with your child to make sense of life in relation to who God is and what He's doing. Uh, Create simple little liturgies that will teach and inform them in their awareness of Christ. But teach your children. It also looks like praying to bring them to Jesus, certainly. You cannot physically line up like these parents did in Matthew 19 to bring your kids to Jesus. But that's actually good news because there's not a line. And Jesus is with you always. And so bring your kids to Jesus in prayer. Yes, pray for them, but pray with them. Teach them to pray. Mealtime, bedtime, all the time, anytime. Bring them to Jesus. So for these parents in Matthew 19, who they had just witnessed Jesus to be for them, they now expected him to also be for their children. And that is the essence of the desire of parents in the kingdom of heaven as it is made new. The desire is not merely to be a perfect parent by doing all the right things for your kids. The desire now is to be a parent who brings their kid to Jesus, who will do all the right things for your kid. Now, what that requires is that you trust Jesus with your child. Do you trust him with your kids? Now, what happens next in this little story should inspire your trust because in the kingdom of heaven, children are valued by Jesus. They're welcomed by Jesus. Look at what happens. The disciples rebuke the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Before the parents, leading their kids, even get to Jesus, the bouncers, I mean, the disciples, um, step in. They seem to be running triage for Jesus in some sense. They're at least like governing his schedule, protecting his time and energy. Perhaps they're also, though, looking around the crowd saying, you don't need as much healing as this person over here, so you go to the back and you come forward, you, you clearly have a... I don't know what they're doing. They're running triage for Jesus' life. The things that they think matter, though, don't matter as much as Jesus cares about them. Either way, in the mind of the disciples here, children are an inconvenience, a bother, And the disciples weren't alone in that sentiment. Culturally, children were second-grade citizens. Unless they, well, unless exceptions for nobility, okay? We're we're not talking about exceptions. We're talking about norm. Normally, they were second-class citizens. They were utterly dependent. They were a blessing on one hand and an inconvenience on the other. And my guess is that the first century treatment of children in that day That they're not alone in that either. My question now to you is how many of you would prefer to have a quiet, focused, calm, relaxing life group gathering? And you all agree. How many of you prefer to just be listening now with all the uh, skerfuffling happening? How many of you would think of children as an obstacle perhaps to your career? Or an inconvenience to your hobbies. Or a burden that weighs you down when you're drooling over hashtag van life Instagram stories. But you know you have to go to work day after day after day after day to pay the bills to keep up with the next shoe size and the next food craze. If we we get it, okay, we get that feeling, then we would also get the disciples' response. We expect, you see, the kingdom of heaven to operate the way things operate in the world and the culture. And the disciples step in to barricade the kids from Jesus. And then in that moment, the famous words drip from Jesus' mouth. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. In the words of the great theologian Michael Scott... Well, 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 how the turntables. I think I got it right. That but is an emphatic contrast. He is up over and against now the disciples saying, no, 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 I'm the one who controls the schedule. I'm the one who has my eyes oriented on the kingdom of heaven correctly. And the kids are invited. In the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that really matters, kids are not lower-class citizens relegated to eat scraps in a corner of the room by themselves. They're invited to the table. And as Jesus gives, as he welcomes the children, he gives this reason, and it's explicit here, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. For of these little ones, literal little ones is the kingdom of heaven, What Matthew's been doing all along, he's doing here, unveiling the kingdom of heaven as the king from heaven reveals a new and holistic way for humans to flourish in relation to each other and to God. And kids are invited equally as much as their parents, equally as much as the singles, the unmarrieds that are mentioned in the verses that just precede this, equally as much as the married who precede that. And if you're familiar with Matthew, you'd remember only one chapter ago, at the beginning of chapter 18, children are even held up as examples of the humility that all of us must demonstrate and have as we live in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not about power or status or production or output. It's about poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, all receiving infinitely more than the world would give them. So kids, kids, attention, all all of you, you matter. Do you know that? Jesus loves you. You're his delight. You're his treasure. You're his. You need to hear this, kids, and believe it and love it. It changes everything for you when you've got a problem or you're in trouble, or you feel sad or angry, come to Him. Come to Him. When you need a friend, come to Him. When you need someone to cry with, come to Him. Parents, attention. Jesus loves your kids. He wants you to bring them to Him. And this changes everything for you. You have responsibility, yes but you have opportunity. Lead your kids. Bring them to Jesus. Physically bring them to church and life group. Good job this morning. Spiritually teach them and pray for them. Everyone. Everyone else. Neither a kid nor, but also a parent. Attention. In the kingdom of heaven, kids matter. They matter just as they are. Children are valuable to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't qualify this because of their potential or because they're the next generation of leaders or because one of them might be the next Billy Graham. Children matter in the kingdom of heaven because they are, because they do. And it just changes everything for us as a church, like actually practically. And I want to just take a moment to explain a few things of why we're doing things the way we're doing. For one, um, we'll start here. We don't have a kid's Sunday school per se or a nursery not because it's not valuable, not because it isn't one of the ways that we show kids that they matter, but because kids are welcome, invited to participate with us in worship. They'll catch the way of Jesus. They'll catch it as they watch you, parents, their most admired adults and peers, all of us, with a Bible open on our lap, by hearing you sing loudly even when you don't know the words. Now, okay, I share that value, that kids would be welcome. I also share the reality that it's inconvenient and it's a struggle. Um, There are many church-planting textbooks that I read before we kind of started work on this that said, don't start without a kid's ministry. Kids are invited here. And uh, I didn't want to arm-wrestle any of you parents um, into doing this, into volunteering to lead that, because we're going to value kids as, as part of our family, as part of our congregation. Now, at this very same time, some of you might be thinking, oh, we could show kids that they matter by starting a nursery or starting a Sunday school. <laughs> and if that's where you're at today and there's a few of you that want to start something, I'd also love to talk to you because the bottom, the bottom line is this. Any way we spin it, kids matter. Anyway we spin it, in the way of the kingdom of heaven, kids are valued in matter. And what this means for all of us, though, even right now, is that we're going to embrace kids in our gathering and actually bear with one another in love. We have a little play area in the back that's set aside for uh, little ones, and in particular, kids that are in like preschool ages. And if your little needs to wiggle, parents, oh, I hate that I just said that. Oh, cringy. If if your little one (laughs) needs to move around, um, this space is for you. And um, we'd invite you to use it. Okay? It's intimidating to bring your kid to church. I get it. My kids are in church. But it doesn't need to be. And this is at least an attempt to say, parents, you matter. Kids, you matter. You're welcome here. The distraction, the noise, uh, the laughter, the crying are real, tangible ramifications of the value that kids have in the kingdom of heaven. They belong here. What it further means for all of us is that Sunday morning, what we're doing here together is not merely content driven. Okay? We're not here to learn more. Is that shocking? When we get together, we are gathering to worship Jesus, to respond to him. We do that as we encourage one another to hang on to him all the more, because the day is coming when he's returning. We do that when we hold the word, this word, at the center of our life individually and of our lives corporately. And so as we gather, we're not just aiming to get smarter Part of what we do is we have this time of teaching. I hope that it affects your mind. I hope that it affects your heart. But being distracted is okay. Shepherding children is par for the course here. So I'm I'm pleased to announce that as of this week, there's a podcast. And we're recording the sermons. So that the attention that you give your children, which is first and foremost here in this gathering you're free then to pick up the teaching at another time. So we commit ourselves to the Word. We commit ourselves to our kids. We commit ourselves to gather. And guess what? We can now have our cake, and we can eat it too, okay? It means for the kids that you're invited to sit with your parents to color, to to look at books, whatever. You're invited to compete with them to sing louder than them, okay, lead them. It means, kids, we have a need for you to jump in and serve. There's chairs when we're done that will need folded up that you can help with. There were hands that needed to be shaked and people that needed to be said hi to this morning, and you can help. When there's a a chance to go help clean someone's yard, you you can jump in the action. So kids, tell your parents that you want to help out and parents, help your kids serve. Now, all of us, okay, not just parents, not just kids, need to understand why this story's in Matthew's gospel. Because there's a very literal sense, a literal sense in which literal kids have a place in the kingdom of heaven. And that's because Jesus is bringing the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom's not as we would expect things in the kingdom are not as they seem. Specifically this morning, in the kingdom of heaven, the class system is broken. Class systems are broken and removed. What I mean by that is this, the kingdom belongs to those who are, Jesus says, such as these children. The cultural second-rate dependents are granted the rights, the privileges to enter the kingdom of heaven as full-fledged citizens. And there are at least two senses of this in the literal sense, which we've already talked about. Do not keep your literal kids away from Jesus, but bring them to him. But in the figurative sense, all of us are to become like children. Like these children. In what sense? How are we all to identify as children in the kingdom of heaven? Nicodemus, uh, a Pharisee, has a famous encounter with Jesus in John chapter 3, in which Jesus says that to enter the kingdom of heaven, Nicodemus must be born again. And he says, huh, I have to go back into my mother's womb and come out again, like one of these little children? No. So not in a physical sense are you to become like children. Okay? Okay. Instead, in the manner in which Jesus highlights children at the beginning of chapter 18, which, if you were at one of our other locations, was about a year ago we were in chapter 18, but if you're reading through the Bible, it's about 20 seconds ago on the page. Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, literal children are precious to the Lord because of their intrinsic humility. They know that they can't take care of themselves. Even Mowgli in the Jungle Book, which I think I, that would have been like amazing life as a kid to be just like free in like a loincloth running through the woods. Even Mowgli depends on Bagheera and Baloo to protect him and to care for him. So when you come to Jesus with humility the dependence, the need like that of a child, you too will be welcomed in the kingdom of heaven. This is, after all, who the kingdom of heaven is for. You remember, it's for the poor in spirit. It's for the meek. It's for the ones who know their need. Now what this means for our church is that once we're here, in this kingdom of heaven, there was, there was no meritocracy by which we got into the kingdom of heaven, and now, even still, there is no meritocracy. We are all equals in the kingdom of heaven. Equally loved, equally chosen, equally set apart, equally cared for, and that's true because we are all equally children. John 1 12 and 13 levels that playing field when it says, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you get into the kingdom of heaven by becoming like a child, by coming to Jesus, receiving him and believing in him. You stay in the kingdom of heaven by being like a child, by living in humble dependence on another to keep you and care for you. You have assurance that you're in the kingdom of heaven because you are a child. John 1 says he gave the right. You have the right to run up onto daddy's lap. Daddy happens to be the king of the universe. You have the right to inherit all that a child of the king would inherit. And not because you've done enough good to tip the scale, not because you've been performing, but because you've been given the right. You've been given it. So do you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Do you want a holistic, flourishing way of being? Do you want peace and power in this life and the life to come? Then come to Jesus. Come to Him, believing that just as He doesn't turn children away, He won't turn you away. Now, if, if you're like me, you need this reminder every day. You need a reminder that kids matter every day. You need a reminder that your job is hard every day, but not... What I need a reminder of is the gospel, the good news. That because Jesus died and rose again to usher in a new way of being parents, even though you will never achieve perfection in your parenting, your worth and your value are not determined by your performance in parenting. You have freedom that you didn't know you had. Freedom to not be a child-centered parent, elevating the child above yourself, sacrificing, dying for them daily, just as you're free from parent-centered parenting where you put yourself over your inconvenient child. No, you're free to be a Christ-centered parent, bringing your children to Jesus, not preparing the way for your child, but preparing your child for the way. Because Jesus died and rose again to usher in this new way of being children, you're invited to come to Jesus just as you are to sit on his lap, to eat at his table. You're not inferior. You're not in the way. You're loved and valued simply because God has chosen to love and value you. The kingdom of heaven is for you. So if you want, come to Jesus. You can tell him you love him. You can tell him you want to live your life for him and he will welcome. Now, church, we are all children. None of us have it all figured out. Yes? None of us have arrived. All of us are in need. All of us are in progress. So get over yourself. That's the point here. Get over yourself. Thinking no less of yourself than you ought. And no higher of yourself than you ought but thinking of yourself less. Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Love one another as Christ loved you. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Serve one another as Christ has served you. In the end, we are welcomed because God has simply chosen to set his love on us. Would you rest in that love? Let's pray together. Father, in heaven, we are amazed at the kindness, the tenderness that you've shown us in the scriptures this morning and really throughout our lives. May we see ourselves and each other as you see us. Father, give us your eyes, your heart, your mind, that we might become a Christ-centered, Christ-saturated community in our homes and in our church. Lord, we do specifically pray for our children that you would bless and protect them. Would you keep them and make your face shine upon them and give them peace? May they all come to know you and love you and find uh, life as it was meant to be in you. Father, bless and encourage the parents in our midst to give them a confidence in Christ that makes them humble and frees them to lead their children in the way of Jesus. We, we are coming to you as children, dependent and in need. Would you help us in your name? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we uh, continue to sing this next song.